Classic Horror Stories How He Left the Hotel by Louisa Baldwin I used to work the passenger lift in the Empire Hotel, a big block of building in lines of red and white brick, like streaky bacon that stands at the corner of Hotel Street. I served my time in the army. I got my discharge with good cut and touch stripes. And how I got the job was in this way. Hotel was a big company affair a managing committee of retired officers and such like gentlemen, a bit of money and concern and nothing to do but fidget about it. My late colonel was one of them. He was a good-tempered a man as ever stepped when he, his wheel wasn't crossed. When I asked him for a job, Mole, says he, you're the very man to work a lift at our big hotel. Soldiers are civil and business-like, and the public like them. Are you second best to sailors? We had, we had to give our last man a sack. You can take his place. I like my well, work well enough, and my pay, and kept my place a year. I should have been there still if it hadn't been for a circumstance. But don't let me anticipate ours was a hydraulic lift. None of them rickety things swung up like a pole parrot's cage, a well staircase. I couldn't, shouldn't care to trust my neck to it. It ran as smooth as oil. A child might have worked it, and safer standing on the ground, instead of being stuck full of advertisements like an omnibus with mirrors in it. They had mirrors in it, and the ladies would look at themselves and pat their hair and set their mouths I was taking them downstairs, dressed for, for an evening. It was a little sitting room with red velvet cushions to sit on. You uh, had nothing to do but get into it, and it had float you up or float you down, light as a bird. All the visitors used the lift one time or another, going up or coming down. Some of them were f- was French. They called the lift the sewer. The sender, they're good enough for them, in their language, no doubt. But wine Americans, that can speak English when they choose, always finding out ways of doing things quicker than other folks, to waste time and calling it, time and breath, calling it a lift, an elevator, I couldn't, can't make out. I was in charge of lift from noon till midnight. By that time, the theatre and dining folks had come in. Anyone returning late walked upstairs. My work's, day's work was done. One of the porters worked the lift till I came on duty in the morning. But after twelve, enough particular going on, and not much till after two o'clock. Then it was pretty hot work with visitors going up and down constant. Let your bell ringing you from one floor to another like a house on fire. Then came a quiet spell while dinner was on. I sat down comfortable. I lift and read my paper. But I admit, must, must not smoke. But nobody else might, might neither. I had to ask for a gentleman to please not smoke in it. It was against the rule. I hadn't so often to tell English gentlemen 
they not like foreigners, that it seemed as if their cigars were glued to their lips. Always noticed faces of folks got into the lift. At first, I had sharp sight and good memory, and none of the visitors needed to tell me twice where they to take them. I knew them, I knew their floor as well as they did themselves. It was in November that Colonel Saxby came to the Empire Hotel. I noticed him particularly because you could see at once that he was a soldier. He was a tall, thin man, about fifty, a hawk nose, keen eyes, a grey moustache, and walked stiff with a shot, gunshot wound in the knee. But what I noticed most was the scar of the sabre cut across the right side of his face. As he got in lift to go to his room on the fourth floor, I thought, what a difference there is among officers. Colonel Saxby put me in the mind of telegraph pole for height and thinness. My old colonel was like a barrel in uniform, but a brave soldier and a gentleman all the same. Colonel Saxby's room was 210, just opposite the glass door leading to the lift. Every time I stopped on the fourth floor, number 210 stared me in the face. The colonel used to go up in the lift every day regular though he never came down until I'm coming to that presently sometimes when he was alone in the lift he'd speak to me he asked me if in what regiment I served and he said he knew the officers in it I can't say he's comfortable to talk to there was something standoff about him he always seemed deep in his own thoughts he never sat down on the lift if it is full Empty of fall, he stood up, bolt upright, under the lamp, where the light fell on his pale face and scarred cheek. One, February, one day in February, I didn't take the colonel up in the lift, as he was a regular as clockwork, I noticed it. But I suppose he'd gone away for a few days. I thought no more about it. Whenever I stopped on the fourth floor, the door to ten was shut, and he op- often left it open. I made sure the colonel was away. At the end of the week, I heard a chambermaid say, chambermaid maid say, Colonel Saxby was ill, so thinks I, that's why he hasn't been in the lift lately. It's Tuesday night. I had an uncommonly busy day, time of it. It was one stream of traffic up and down, so it went on the whole evening. It was on the strike of midnight. I was about to put light in the lift, out the light in the lift, lock the door and leave the key in the office. The man in the morning, electric bell rang out sharp. Looked at the door and saw I was wanted on the fourth floor. Struck twelve, so I stepped into the lift. As I passed the second and third floors, I wondered who it was that had rang so late. I thought it must be a stranger. I didn't know the rule of the house. When I stopped at the fourth floor, flung open the door of the lift. Colonel Saxby was standing there wrapped in a military cloak. The door of his room was shut behind him, for he read the number on it. I thought he was ill in his bed, ill enough as he, he looked, but he had his hat on. And what could a man that had been in bed for ten days want with going out on a winter and midnight? I don't think he saw me, but when I set the lift in motion, I looked at him standing under the lamp. The shed of his hat hiding his eyes, and light full on the lower part of his face. That was deadly pale, the scar on his cheek 
showing still paler. Glad to see you get better, sir, said I. But he said nothing. I didn't like to look at him again. He stood like a statue with his cloak about him. I was downright glad. I opened the door to the lift for him to step out and all. all. As loaded it, as as he got out, he went past me towards the front door. The Colonel wants to go out, I said to the porter who stood staring. He opened the door and the Colonel sat we walked out into the snow. That's queer, go, he said. It is, said I. I don't like the Colonel's looks. He doesn't seem himself at all. He's ill enough to be in his bed. There he's gone out on a night like this. Anyhow, he's got his famous cloak to keep him warm. I say, supposing he's gone to a fancy ball, got that cloak on to hide his dress, said the porter, laughing uneasily. We both felt queerer than we cared to say. Than we cared to say. He spoke, there came a long old ring at the doorbell. No more passages for me, I said. I was really, really putting the light at this time. Joe opened the door and two gentlemen entered. I knew at a glance were doctors. One was tall and the other was short and stout. They both came to lift. Sorry, gentlemen, but it's against the rule for the lift to go up after midnight. Nonsense, said the stout gentleman. It's only past twelve. And a, matter of li- and a matter of life and death. Take us up at once to the fourth floor. They were in the lift like a shot. So we went up. Up we went. And when I opened the door, they walked straight to number ten. A nurse came out to them, and a stout doctor said, No change for the worse, I hope. I heard a reply. The patient died five minutes ago, sir. No, I had no business to speak. There's no more I could stand. I followed the doctor to the door. and said, There's some mistake here, gentlemen. I took the colonel down the lift. Since the clock struck twelve, he went out. The doctor said sharply, a case of mistaken identity is someone else you took for the colonel. Begging your pardon, gentlemen, it was the colonel himself. Night porter that opened the front door for him, knew him as well as me, dressed for a night like this with his military cloak wrapped around him. Step in and see for yourself, said the nurse. I followed the doctor into the room. There lay Colonel Saxby, looking just as I'd seen him. A few minutes before, there lay dead, his forefathers, a great cloak spread over him, over the bed, to keep him warm, that would feel heat and cold no more. I felt I never slept that night. I sat out with Joe, expecting every minute to hear the Colonel ring the front door doorbell. Next day, every time the bell for the lift rang sharp and sudden, sweat broke out on me. I shook again. Felt as bad as I did the first time was in action. Me and Joe told the manager all about it. He said we'd been dreaming, but, said he, mind you don't talk about it or the house will be empty in a week. The colonel's coffin was smuggled into the house the next night. Me and the manager and undertaker's men took it up a lift, lay it right across it, and got not an inch to spare. They carried it into the into number 210. I waited for them. To come out again, a queer feeling came over me. When the door opened softly, the four men carried out a long coughing straight across the passage and set it down. 
his foot towards the door a lift and the manager looked around for me I can't do it sir I said I can't take the colonel down again I took him down at midnight yesterday that was enough for me put it said the manager speaking short and sharp they ran the coffin into the lift without a sound the manager got in last before he closed the door he said mole the work did lift for the last time it strikes me had for I wouldn't have stayed on at the Emperor wage after what had happened, not if they doubled my wages. Me and the night porter left together.